Welcome to the Boyk Brief, a production of the Charles Boyk Law Offices in Toledo, Ohio. Join us as we explore real legal cases, talk to fascinating people in our area, raise awareness about community initiatives, and share helpful information about protecting yourself and those you love. Today on the podcast, we have one of my favorite people and probably my favorite client of all time, Robert Lucas, Bob Lucas. Uh, We met in 2003 under some very tragic circumstances, and I think it would be fantastic for him to uh, share his story, how he's overcome a tremendous amount of hardship to live a productive life. Uh, He's funny, he's opinionated, uh, but one thing he is is very entertaining. Um, so we have with us today, Bob Lucas. Bob, good to see you. Hi. Right. <laughs> so, Bob, uh, we met in 2003. Um, why don't you tell people you were living in Bryan, Ohio at that time. Um, tell me about your life and your occupation and how things were going in 2003 before the accident that uh, led me and you to meet each other. Okay. Yeah. Um, back in 2003, I was a general labor union labor for a construction company. And, uh, it just so happened that I was in an, an accident. Uh, somebody accidentally run me into 7,200 volts and it blew through across my chest and blew out my other side and almost blew my arm off. And, uh, Back when when I woke up out of a coma in the hospital, my wife took the phone book, which is a very huge, thick Toledo phone book, and she uh, called probably at least uh, close to a dozen lawyers in the Toledo area. And one lawyer showed up at the intensive care burn unit, and his name was Chuck Boyk. And that's how Chuck and I met. He was the only lawyer that actually came to the hospital to see me. Um, and since then, uh, I've been through probably to date, probably at least 30 surgeries, at least. And some of them major surgeries, they had to, um, like kind of reconstruct my body and, uh, use skin from other parts of my body. I have skin grafts all over burns because when the 7,200 volts went through me, it was like a big ball of flame that burnt my skin uh, burnt pretty bad. Um, and, uh, Chuck and I's worked together and, um, done a wonderful job. He, Chuck did a wonderful job, um, as a lawyer on this case. Um, I don't know if I go into detail right at the moment, but he, he, he obviously did a great job. He called in expert witnesses from out of state that had to do with the electrical codes and, and things like that, that, that and took them to the actual site of the accident. And they looked around and they looked at everything else, which was very beneficial to this case because we wanted to know what was going on. And it, it's just that I have to get in my head that it was not my fault. Somebody else did this to me, you know? Um, so, so, so Bob, let's talk about some of the specifics. Um, you were working as a general laborer, and this happened in Defiance, Ohio? Correct. 
And um, why don't you explain about the forklift and what happened at the accident scene? What happened at the accident scene? Uh, we was doing some site work. I was doing some site work for this company. We were getting the the land ready to expand their parking lot. And it just so happened that a guy from the the school that was nearby said, hey, could you uh, um, tie up this cable, this TV cable line, because we can't get into our dumpsters. And, of course, nice guys that we are, we said, sure. And I was with the foreman, I w- and I was in the backhoe bucket, and I made three ties, and I went to the make the fourth tie, and he uh, accidentally, which there's a lot of lot to do with that too. The sun was in his eyes. He was on a cell phone with the owner of the company, and uh, he was running a backhoe with me in the bucket, unfortunately. And then he run it into seventy two volts, and it come through me, through my chest area, and blew out. And I blew out the bucket, landed on my head. My eye popped out of the socket, and I was laying there dead. Well, they brought me back to life and life flighted me to St. Vincent's uh, in Toledo. I ended up in a burn unit. Uh, I so was, how, how long were you in intensive care in the burn unit? I was, in, I was actually in a, a, a chemically induced coma for 28 days. And then the total stay, not in intensive care, but in the actual burn unit was um, 87 days. It was almost three months that I was in the hospital and I, you know, I couldn't leave. And I, I, with all the burns, see burn wounds are very difficult to, to heal and uh, to maintain. Um, they're real difficult burn units, uh, burns are. So um, yeah, there's looking pretty right there. That was right after I woke up because most of my body was wrapped up before. So you were unconscious. I mean, you actually don't remember uh, the electric shock. Correct? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And so, also in the burn unit, they give you this, this medicine to make you not remember that stuff. So you were unconscious for what, over a month? Uh, I was in a chemical induced coma for 28 days. Okay. And I remember, Bob... Um, I met you and uh, your wife, Michelle, um, and I remember I had to go to the burn unit at St. V's, and I had to wear all the gowns and everything. Oh, right, and, right. Because, obviously, they were afraid of getting you a MRSA infection. MRSA, yes, which I did end up getting MRSA, and that's pretty nasty to have, too. Um, I'm not trying to re- have you remember this, but just maybe let's talk about the specific injuries you had. I'm looking at, I mean, you had both a personal injury case. You had a worker's compensation case. You had a social security disability case, but I mean, you had dislocated uh, ankle uh, burns throughout virtually your entire, entire body, um, a closed head injury, um, Talk about about your vision. That was something that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, they about were the impact really, on your vision. Yeah, they were worried about the, my vision. See, when I when I hit the ground after that initial uh, electrical shock, 
it popped my eye out of the socket, my right eye, and then uh, they popped it back in on the uh, on the scene. And and then uh, I had uh, before I left the burn unit, I actually had cataract in my one eye, and I had to uh, have the it had already matured, so I had to have the surgery, the cataract surgery, and remove the cataract out of my eye. And you know they thought that I possibly would have been up been blind, but uh, thank God I wasn't. And I come out of it with, you know, not the best vision, but I still I still, you know, can see. Yeah, it was it was pretty rough on the eyes. Well, number one, that the initial flash was so bright that would almost burn your eyeballs just you know seeing that flash right in front of your face. So. After you finally got out of the hospital, um, I went to your house and you were finally able to get around and we went out to the accident scene. I think you might remember that, Bob, yeah. correct? Yeah. Uh, so initially when you went out to the accident scene, you were able to explain to us um, how this happened so we could initially do the investigation and try to determine what expert witnesses to hire. And then after that, I know we went out with some various expert witnesses that we hired across the country to evaluate the scene. Was it difficult for you to go back to the scene? Oh, I don't know if it was really difficult. Oh, yeah. Well, see, I went there with my wife. We went in the car, and, of course, the big, tough, macho stud guy that I am started crying like a little baby, but it was pretty tragic, <laughs> very tragic accident. Um, but then when I went with you guys, I was pretty content, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's still not a good feeling to even go by that. I rarely go by it, but every once in a great while I go by the where it happened. And it's like, I don't even like to see that, tell you the truth. Yeah. So I think you could see it there. Um, so one of the issues on a case like yours, it's not like there's a car accident where they actually do any really large investigation. Uh, we had an incident report, but that's pretty much all we had to go on initially. So in your case, um, we had to hire an electrical expert from out of state. Uh, we had to hire a forklift expert from out of state. Uh, we had to hire an economist and a vocationalist to demonstrate the damages in this sort of situation. Um, but it was interesting, this happened in defiance and there potentially were so many defendants, I think we had to sue maybe eight to 10 defendants initially. So we were able to uh, sue in Lucas County, Ohio. Uh, and it's funny, Lucas County is named after Robert Lucas. So I thought it was, uh, kind of interesting that, uh, you know, we, we sued in the county named named after the governor, an old governor of Ohio, but I guess it was your name too. Um, so talk about the process as a client um, when the attorney's trying to explain to you what we're doing and why you're doing it. I'm assuming there's a lot of uncertainty early on in the process. Oh, uh, yeah, but... It it was rather hard for you to figure out what's going on, what actually happened here. It was rather hard for all of us to figure out what happened because 
like I said, I was in a coma for 28 days and they give me medicine not to remember anything from the accident because, you know, they like scrape the wounds and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole heck of a lot to go on. We only had, uh, you know, the two or three people that actually witnessed it, you know, and which I wasn't a very good witness because, you know, of what happened. I was It happened to me. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it all worked out. I guarantee, I know for a fact it all worked out for the best. I mean, it, the best the situation could, could get. Um, so I, so, right. So, so one thing that was interesting is that we really did depositions, which are like statements under oath of all of the people involved in the incident, um, all of their supervisors, all of the various expert witnesses, both on our side and on the other side. And it was kind of interesting all the different defendants were pointing the finger at each other. So that was kind of one of the goals where you like it when um, instead of just pointing the finger at you, which they really weren't doing, they were pointing right. the fingers at each other, which made our life a whole lot better. Right. And, you know, number one, the cable line shouldn't have been hanging that low. Number two, the company I worked for shouldn't have volunteered me to tie it up. You know, it's just something we should have even had our nose in. We shouldn't even have been involved in it. And part of it is they put you up in in a um, a backhoe. A backhoe bucket, a front bucket. Right. And you're really not supposed to put a no. person in a backhoe bucket no. because there's absolutely no safety devices. Right. And no, I wasn't. Right there's the bucket, a picture of the bucket. No, I wasn't tied off or anything. And you certainly don't lift people up uh, that have no expertise near powered electrical lines. Right. This was just a cable line. The power lines were much higher. And being the sun was in his eyes and he wasn't paying attention, he was on a cell phone. He run me up as high as that backhoe would go to run me to into those power lines. They weren't down low with the cable line. They were way up. And they and he... He raised that on his own up into those high central lines right there. And and that's what caused the accident. So our litigation, meaning the lawsuit and the depositions, uh, took a couple of years. Um, and I'm assuming during that time period, you were hoping for the best, but you were in the midst of not being able to work you were undergoing regular medical attention and yeah. you had all that uncertainty in your life and your future. Um, I'm assuming that that time period must've been, you know, extremely difficult for you and your family. Oh, I imagine it. it oh, it definitely was for me and probably worse for my fr family because I was a raging lunatic. I mean, I had PTSD. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was coming or going sleep wise. It was, it was, it was rather difficult. Right. I mean, your, your, your wife, Michelle, who I've met on numerous occasions. I mean, she was probably a saint to marry in the first place, but. The oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm still a lunatic. You know? rid of that. Right. But I mean, to overcome that and to deal with that, uh, could not have been very easy. 
Oh, yeah. She's a saint, definitely, to put up with what all happened. And she stayed with me up there to burn unit for the, the 87 days at a place uh, right next to St. Vincent's Hospital called Home Away From Home. She stayed up there with me and come home on the weekends. So eventually uh, we did all the depositions. Uh, you had to have your deposition and tell your story. Um, was that a scary uh, event for you or? No, it wasn't at all. All I did is I told the truth. That's all I did was, was, was I went there and I told the truth. And I also know that, you know, it's all over with now that, but I, I know other, uh, let's just say the other side lied quite often in, in their uh, depositions. And, you know, I don't care if it's under oath or not. You know, they made, made up all kinds of stories to try to cover themselves. So oftentimes, um, uh when I was a young attorney in the 80s and 90s, lots of cases go to trial and cases still go to trial. But they have a process called the mediation process. So in this case, uh, when we got really close to trial within like three or four months of trial, we went through a mediation process and we had a private mediator uh, whose job was to try to uh, talk us down from our original number and talk the defendants up. And in this case, it was kind of difficult because there were a lot of different defendants and they all were pointing fingers at each other and uh, they all wanted uh, the other defendant to pay most of the money. Um, were you happy with the mediation process? Oh, yeah, I think the and when we did go in for that final mediation, I think that the guy did an excellent, perfect job. I think he was very professional about how he did that how he took care of things and, you know, and I don't know. I, I just think it would did, he did a great job when we, when we were doing that, that mediation with that deal. So in your case, we eventually settled for an undisclosed confidential amount. And we're not going to mention any of the names of the defendants because of a, of an agreement. Um, right, right. But, over the years, I mean, once your case was settled, um, you and I still kept in touch because you still have to this day an ongoing workers' compensation case where you're still being treated uh, 18 years later, correct? Yeah, and I still see a doctor for this accident too. Okay. Yeah. And um, you also, we also were able to help you in social security disability. I remember we had to go to a, a hearing in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. Which was really odd. Yeah. That was odd that it was, we had to go to Indiana for this. Yeah, right. Um, but over the years we've kept in touch and I think you're probably one of my best referral sources. You've referred me a tremendous amount of really serious accidents and I've really enjoyed representing those people. Um, so explain, like, how do you spend your time currently? Uh, well, I don't, I had a stroke a couple of years ago. I, we just, my son and my grandson and I, we mess around with cars. We have like muscle cars and uh, we, our grandkids live with us and it's just a, uh, oh, 
family deal, I guess. I don't know. I can't really explain it. But the whole hee-haw gang's there. We're <laughs> all there. We're all there. So, um, you know, most people don't have to face adversity as serious as you have in your life, Bob. And that's one of the reasons I respect you for still having a fantastic attitude and basically making the best of a very traumatic situation. Um, can you explain like the impact of this on your life? I mean, when you, how old were you when the accident happened? 40. And um, I'm assuming you planned on continuing to work as a union laborer. I love my job. See, that's what really is a bad thing about this is I love my job. I was always to work early. I just love my job. I love doing construction. At the time I was building bridges. You know, we was just doing that site work temporarily. And then I was going to a big bridge over the Maumee River, but I never made it there. And I love my job. I mean, in, you know, you can ask anybody that ever worked with me. I was always there early in the morning. It's just, it was fun. And you have to enjoy your job or you'll be miserable the rest of your life. But it totally, everything's different now from the way it used to be. Physically, I can't hardly do anything. You know, I'd love to be out there running a jackhammer or laying pipe or driving a dump truck, all that good stuff that I used to love doing. So we just make do. You know, we mess with old cars now, and I don't know. And nothing really too physical. So what would be your advice to people that are seriously injured? Um, you know, I'm sure you probably never even thought something like this could happen to you. No, not at all. And my advice, if you get seriously injured, uh, I, I would check with a, I would check everything out and check with a lawyer. I mean, don't let a company tell you, say, oh, no, no, you don't need a lawyer. We'll take care of you. Because if it just so happens in this situation, if I would have let the company take care of me, well, that company's been out of business for years. So how would I have been taken care of? I wouldn't have been taken care of. And thank goodness I was a union laborer at the time, making union scale and a, a good job, you know, for you to represent me, to, you know, what, what it takes to make my life back halfway normal, if, so to speak. So one thing I thought that was really helpful are, is sometimes um, clients don't do what the attorney tells them to do. And in sure. our case, I felt comfortable because I could explain what the strategy was, why we were doing it, because my goal was basically to get buy-in from you so you would understand there was a bigger purpose and what the what the game plan was and what the end plan was. And I thought that you were very cooperative and, um, you know, provided a lot of information that was helpful to get the best result for us. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, any other lessons like, like as far as your life goes, I mean, they always say that if you're seriously injured, you basically, learn to appreciate life differently. I'm assuming there's a lot of things like you took for granted before that maybe uh, you have a different perspective on. 
Yeah, there's a few things. Um, I, I was going to touch on something, Chuck. I, and this Go ahead. Is to anybody, anybody out there in the world, if you feel leery about doing something that you're asked to be done by your foreman, your superintendent, plant manager, whatever, if you feel leery down inside about doing it, don't do it. Because if you you could end up in the same situation that happened to me, so I'm I'm just for everybody to be careful, be leery about what you do. You know they might want you to do it, but if it if it don't seem safe, do not do it. I, I just wanted to add that. But um, on the other part, um, oh goodness, I kind of forgot what you said, Chuck. I'm sorry. So like. Like you don't take life for granted. I think most of no. us take life for granted. And now, I mean, you were almost clinically dead and then you were alive again. Um, I mean, you appreciate every day. Now. Right. Don't take life for granted in any way at all because, uh, you know, it could end. It could end immediately. You know, you could be gone in a second. Thank God I wasn't. I have no clue yet to this day why God kept me around. I guess for my grandkids or something, but I'm still around. So, yeah, don't take life for granted because it could end so soon. Anything else you would want to um, let people know about the entire process or your accident that we haven't touched upon, Bob? Uh, no, but one thing, be patient. Be patient because this stuff don't happen overnight. Sometimes it may take a while for things, to, the process to go through. Just be patient and uh, don't jump on the first, you know, um, say you, you, you're, you have a case and you get a, a amount they offer you. Don't jump on the first thing offered to you. You know, don't, you know, be patient. You know, this is the rest of your life you have to worry about. This isn't going to end tomorrow. This is for the rest of your life. Be patient on on this you know it might take a while uh, our case wasn't really i don't think that long but it was you know uh, it was like over three years but still you know I, I i don't know that's kind of my thought just be patient okay bob i appreciate you being with us today um like i said you're probably my favorite client of all time great uh, a great friend a great referral source and I wish you and your family only the best in the future. Thank okay. you. Hey, thanks a lot, Chuck. Take care. Bye. You too. Thank you for joining us on The Boyk Brief. Tune in next time for more stories of law and life.